Welcome to the Alcohol Freedom Podcast, where we are bringing you a modern and judgment-free conversation about how we relate to our drinking habits. I'm Michelle Kapler, and you've got episode 25. Hi, friend. Thanks for being here with me. Actually, you're here with us today. And by us, I mean, I have my wonderful husband, Peter, here to chat about what it's like to be married to somebody who misuses alcohol. Welcome, Peter. Good afternoon. Thanks so much for being here with us today. So what I like to usually start off with when I have guests on is just to say, tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure. Uh, well, uh, I'm, um, I'm an accountant by trade. And uh, I maintain a profession in risk management consulting. Uh, in the past couple of years, I've um, really been taken with uh, homesteading hobbies and, uh, you know, gardening and permaculture. Um, and, um, you know, I'm, I'm married to a podcaster and acupuncturist and we parent a couple of wonderful squishy kids together. Yeah, and I managed to drag you on the podcast, even yes, though you you're did. like kicking and screaming. You're like Michelle. I hate the sound of my voice. This is the worst thing you could ever do. Thanks. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, we're going to talk about being married to me having a drinking problem, and you know, as you know, it's been almost two years since I stopped drinking. But I'd really love to talk about what it was like for you as the spouse of somebody who was having these issues. So I've talked about the beginning of our relationship and our dating life on the podcast before and how we were pretty much ruthless seekers of pleasure in our early days. And that often involved drinking. In fact, it almost always involved drinking. Is that how you remember when we first started dating? Um, it is. And, uh, you know, it wasn't really something that stuck out as being particularly abnormal. Um, you know, at the time... Uh, we were young, we were social, and that was just sort of the, the culture of our generation. Um, it was sort of a social expectation that, um, you know, when out and about and doing things that um, alcohol was, was always involved. And, you know, we lived fast and liked to have fun. And that just involved a lot of alcohol. Yeah, yeah, I would agree with that. And at what point in our relationship if at any point, did you start to think that I might have a problematic relationship with alcohol? Did it ever cross your mind? It, uh, you know, in retrospect, I think some of the signs were there. Uh, I think, you know, I mean, I, I tend to think in terms of patterns and trends. And I definitely picked up on a pattern around the fact that we would often have very unusual fights and kind of tense conversations after drinking was involved. It, you know, it wasn't unusual that some of our nights out would end up in, you know, Michelle kind of storming out of the room or saying something that was kind of out of character and, and left me wondering, you know, whether it was a function of truth serum and you really felt certain things or maybe you weren't necessarily in control of yourself. But, um, you know, I'd say that um, that was something that I would remember as sticking out and just, you know, having me question whether you drinking, let's just say to excess was um, in your best interest. And at what point did that 
kind of start to cross your mind? Was it early in our relationship or did it kind of take a while for you to wonder about that? Well, again, in, in, in retrospect, uh, I noticed that pattern was kind of present right from the beginning. But, you know, you're kind of getting to know somebody, so you don't really know what's within or within, within or outside of their character. Uh, I would say that, um, you know, it probably if I really sort of think back, there were instances fairly early on where, again, you know, we'd be out at a social thing and something kind of out of character would happen or, you know, Michelle would storm out of the room and it would kind of leave me wondering what was happening. But I think it was after a couple of years of that and seeing that and that was a pattern associated with drinking to excess and wasn't otherwise something that, um, that, that you did that I realized that, Hey, maybe this just has to do with you drinking a little bit too much. Interesting. I remember that there were times is, I mean, I think that you're aware that I questioned my relationship with drinking for a good 10 years before I actually stopped. It was a good decade of like beating myself up and wondering if I was an alcoholic. And this started taking place even before uh, I met you. But there were times over the years that I remember talking to you about maybe wondering if I have a drinking problem and wondering what you were thinking about it as my partner. And your response was always supportive and that you wanted to reassure me that I don't have a problem. I remember having conversations like, um, you know, I kind of think that I'm a little out of control and you'd say, yeah, but you're not an alcoholic because you can be pregnant and have a full cabinet of liquor beside you and not like spontaneously reach for it. Um, so I always remember you, <laughs> I think that was actually something mm-hmm. you said yes. at one point. Yes. And I'm, I'm picturing the liquor cabinet full of liquor. Exactly. Was a, it was yeah. a liquor cabinet full of liquor. Yeah. And so I'm remember, I, I'm just wondering kind of what was going through your mind at that moment where I was like, hey, I think I might have a problem. But the words that came out of your mouth were, I don't think you have a problem. <laughs> well, I think, you know, I think we have different conceptions and, you know, you and I maybe at the time did. And, and also culturally, we have different conceptions of what it means to have an alcohol problem. Um, you know, I think culturally, we kind of have this dramatized notion of what that means, you know. In reflecting on it, I wasn't in a situation where I was routinely cleaning up vomit or bracing for physical attacks. And I wasn't seeing you have, you know, breakfast cocktails and and things of that nature. So, you know, to me, that's what the definition of a drinking problem is. But, you know, I, I sort of understand having gone on this journey with you that that's, you know, a far end and narrow definition of that spectrum. So, you know, I think my my words of encouragement weren't uh, serving the function of an enabler, but more so that, you know, I just had a different idea of what problematic drinking involved. That's so interesting. Yeah. And I, I get it. I mean, I had the same questions for myself over the years where I was like, well, it's not bad enough that I'm like going to work drunk or driving drunk or doing questionable things while parenting. Neglecting your children. Yeah, yes. like no, no <laughs> breakfast cocktails were being had, but it was still, but I still knew in the back of my mind that it wasn't good and that I was creating results in my life sure. that weren't working for me. Yeah. I mean, we would have fights that went on in silent tension for kind of a week on end, right? And a lot of them were driven by 
something that may have been said uh, while you were drinking, or it was, you know, a tense silence because you had said something which I kind of shrugged off, but then you're sort of beating yourself up over, you know, things that you maybe talked about while you were drinking. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, you know, again, in, in retrospect, I, I, I think reframing that definition and understanding of a problematic drinking relationship are, are, you know, good places to, to, to start the conversation. Yeah, for sure. And, it, you know, for the audience who wants to perhaps go a little bit deeper with that, uh, you know, kind of guilt and shame that comes around uh, those maybe conversations that you don't quite remember, or you maybe wouldn't have had if you were sober. I did a whole podcast episode on this two weeks ago called Guilt and Shame, where I go into a lot of detail with my perspective of those conversations and how, you know, stressful and dysregulating they were to kind of wake up the next day and have you like kind of mad at me and I kind of didn't remember what I said to you. And that was probably super difficult for both of us. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. Quite unsettling actually, because you know, sometimes you said things that made me question the stability of our relationship. You know, the things that were running through my head were, Oh, she's under the influence and she's actually being honest with me about how it is that she feels. And she said all these sort of terrible things, or, or maybe she just kind of shared how it is that she actually feels, which she hasn't before. So it was, you know, it was a bit troubling because these weren't things that we were addressing or, you know, or reconciling really. They just kind of sat back and festered. Yeah. For sure. And again, I talk a lot about that in the episode where I go into the whole shame spiral thing where I couldn't really move forward with any of it because I was so like, I couldn't move forward with it in a meaningful way with you because I was so consumed with the guilt and shame of even having those interactions with you that it couldn't even begin to work through. Oh, well, do I actually feel this way? Let's have a conversation about it. Let's have a conversation where we both come to the table with sound mind. Like that wasn't even accessible to me because I was just in such a place of deep shame at the time. But you know, hindsight is 2020. Mm -hmm. uh, so I remember the day that I told you that I wanted to stop drinking permanently. And it was in a therapy session. And this particular therapy session wasn't necessarily to address a particular problem we were having. I remember at the time we were just kind of doing therapy to fix it all or make it all better in general. Better. Yeah, communicate, communicate better. better. Yes, communicate yes. better. Excellent demonstration. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so when we had this conversation, and I remember it very clearly, like it was yesterday, what was the first thing that went through your mind when I said, actually, I think I'm never going to drink again? Well, I mean, I think this is a, a good way of demonstrating exactly what not to do in this situation. Because the first thing that went through my head was that I, I just made it all about myself. Um, <laughs> and the first thing I thought was, oh, great. So now I can't have a beer on the deck after I mow the lawn. Great. <laughs> Is this what I'm into? Is this what I'm up for now? So, you know, that's kind of initially, that was the first sort of, you know, jarring kind of, you know, instinctual thought that went through my head. But, uh, I think I was sort of aware enough to be able to collect my thoughts on the matter and not, you know, project my own kind of 
self-serving, <laughs> self-serving needs on the situation. I recognize that, hey, if you're actually, you know, brave enough to address something like this in, in this setting and you're willing to kind of make as much of um, a commitment to this, then it must be a serious problem. Like this must really mean a lot to you and it must be something that is, you know, important and problematic enough to to take some drastic measures around. So, so I think that, you know, that kind of helped me to reframe things. Um, and, you know, I went away from initially how this kind of impacts me <laughs> in the in the immediate um in the immediate steps and also how it maybe sort of impacts our lifestyle right around oh you know what's it going to look like when we're out at a social function or am i going to be able to take you to work functions with me where everyone is you know drinking like fish because that's what people do in my work circles uh or you know are we going to be able to have a steak with a bottle of wine going forward right um so i i think there was you know is it i can't remember which stage of processing this is but you know that kind of bargaining stage internally around <laughs> <laughs> okay well first it was about me and then it was about us and well maybe maybe i should really think about michelle here <laughs> well so but all those i mean to be fair all those things happened very quickly right so it was within yes. minutes where you know i i i kind of was able to reframe this and, and think about okay well I really need to be supportive here because this is a big deal. And, and, and obviously you recognize some, some serious problems in your life that you're trying to address. And, and, you know, as, as your partner and your husband, um, it would kind of behoove me not to be supportive. Well, and I would also say, I think that I chose to kind of, I guess, come out to you in a way in this new version of myself um, in the context of a therapy session, which I think like our therapist really helped us facilitate that conversation effectively. Because, of course, I freaked out because you weren't immediately on board with what I was doing. And if you want to hear more about that, you can listen to the episode called What About Your Spouse, where we have manuals for how we think our partner should act in order to be a good partner, which is completely not in alignment with reality because our partners are human. Yeah, I didn't follow your script. No, that's that's yeah. for sure. I mean, I wasn't even aware that there was a script. So. Of course. Well, and, and <laughs> so usually, there is that. <laughs> usually our partners aren't. And, and, you know, the lesson there was, hey, our partners are adults and they're allowed to think and behave in the way that they want to. And just because they don't, you know, do it in the way that you think they should doesn't mean that they don't care about you and love yep. you. And that was such a huge takeaway for me from that conversation. Like, hey, maybe Peter just has a different method that he works through things and it doesn't actually have anything to do with me. So that was really interesting to, th that was a really intense therapy session. <laughs> yes, it was. Yeah. yeah. Another thing I want to ask you is, I mean, I'm always saying that everyone has their thing and all humans have these kind of self-soothing patterns and the potential to, to develop addictive behavior around a lot of different things. And I know that you have your own addiction stuff that you deal with and the nature of that isn't really important in this discussion here, but I'm wondering how has your own, you know, very human uh, interaction with addiction, like we all have, how has it informed your approach to being with me through my stuff? Well, I think it's uh, it's helped to put it into a practical context around um, 
you know, understanding what it is that the brain goes through in an addiction process, right? So, you know, the fact that it it really isn't rational um, or, you know, isn't always rational, doesn't have to be rational, and that addicted brains work in unpredictable and nonlinear fashion. Um, so I think, you know, having an understanding of that context help me to navigate some of the, you know, some of the challenges around how are we going to integrate our lives where you have just quit drinking completely cold turkey, but, you know, in some way or another, alcohol remains a part of my life. And it certainly doesn't look like what it used to look like. But yes, I do still want to have a beer after I mow the lawn and sit on the deck. And, you know, yes, I, you know, do still want to have a couple of drinks when I go with my friends and, and have dinner and, and, you know, attend work functions and think of the, and things of that nature. So, so I think having an understanding of what an addicted brain does help me to be more empathetic around the fact that some of these things weren't necessarily rational, right? So, I mean, just to kind of give an example, you know, leaving alcohol out of the fridge, you know, we kind of had this thing where it's okay if you want to cool a beer in there, but, you know, I don't want the fridge to be loaded up with booze. And, you know, to a person kind of looking at from the outside, they're thinking, well, what does it matter? Like, if it's in there, it's in there. Like, does the volume of things really matter? But, you know, from somebody who's dealt with, addiction at the same time and in, in, in other contexts, it actually matters a lot, you know, to the extent that a trigger is kind of um, a flick to the elbow versus an overwhelming getting hit by a truck of trigger. That makes a really big difference. Um, so, you know, I think understanding the brain science behind addiction is really helpful in trying to um, understand maybe what your partner is going through and also be a little bit more understanding and, and empathetic about it as opposed to, you know, trying to argue through these things, which, you know, isn't, isn't productive. Yeah. And you were, you've been so patient with me. We've obviously had our very uncomfortable moments navigating all of this, but I mean, we've been at this for two years now. And I would say that the amount of, things that I required from you in Incidents. terms of, well, no, that's not where I, well, yeah, like <laughs> maybe forgetting a beer in the yes. fridge overnight and having me find it in the morning and storming in and like slamming it down on the bedside table beside you asleep, while yes. you were asleep and yes. saying, I'm going to pour the next one down the sink. You were very, very patient with me as I was navigating that. And I will say that, you know, as, as you've been very patient with me, it's enabled me to really soften to all of it and kind of come to terms with, okay, well, what are necessary boundaries for me? What are my do not cross go, do not collect $200 zones? Whereas, you know, sometimes there are gray zones that need to be navigated on an individual basis. And then there are some times when it's like, yeah, it's, it's totally fine. I know that if you have a glass of wine at dinner while we're having a special meal together, while we're out celebrating our anniversary, I'm not going to be like face down in the bottle because of that. Um, but it's been so incredible to just have you ha have it feel like you're on my side. But what I want to ask you next is, 
as somebody who's kind of seen both sides of this coin in a relationship, meaning like you've been the one who's been the support person to the addicted and you've been the addicted one being supported as well. What advice would you give somebody whose spouse is over drinking? Sure. So you mean uh, just over drinking or somebody who is working with their spouse trying to whose spouse is trying to address over drinking? Because those are those are quite, I think, different scenarios. Yeah, of course. Well, I would say, I mean, you don't really have any experience with staging an intervention because you were having concerns about exactly. my drinking like that wasn't part of our story at all so if you were to speak from experience with like oh hey you're kind of throwing me for a loop here this is going to kind of change the way we live our lives what advice would you give? sure so and i think i touched on this earlier i mean i think the most important thing is you know don't don't make it about yourself and that's really hard because that's sort of immediately what you know, your mind might jump to. And there is room for that. Like there's a lot of room around how this impacts you and how you move your life going forward. And, you know, part of your spouse's recovery through this process is going to be about you as well, because, you know, you're, you're a unit and you're doing it together. So there's plenty of room for that, but don't, don't jump there first because it's not going to be productive to the process. And, um, you know, you're by putting this out in the open and approaching you and addressing it, your spouse is taking an absolutely massive, massive risk. So try and find ways that you can be, initially as supportive as possible, um, like right, right from the bat. Um, and the second thing that I would say is, uh, you know, gain an understanding of addiction from the research, um, understand how addictions form and, and what they do to brains and understand the, you know, dopaminergic chemistry and, you know, what kind of drives that, because I, I think, you know, that, sort of impartial um, investigation into uh, into addiction, it helps to separate the problem from the person. Uh, and, you know, it, it really helps, I think, everybody in the process because you, you realize that you're not dealing with, you know, somebody's personality flaw here. It's much bigger than that. Yeah, for sure. And uh, do subscribe because... As luck would have it, next week, my podcast episode is about exactly that. I'm going to go into wow. a bit of a... <laughs> that was not staged for the listeners. I know, yeah. I know. So what a good, segue. Right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but next week's episode, I'm going to be talking about trigger thoughts and how that plays into the neurochemistry and the neurotransmitter um, and how they all play with each other. I think we've talked about this before, but it was really you who pushed me over the line to want to do this work. And it was this statement that you made in that therapy session, actually. And your statement was, I think I like you better when you're not drinking. Yes. Yeah. Very true. I, yeah. You yeah. said that. And it oh, made gosh. me, yeah. and it made me think maybe I like me better when I'm not drinking. So that was my interview with my very dear friend and husband, Peter. And by the way, huge props to him because apparently he hates the sound of his own voice. So big deal for him to come on a podcast episode. So thank you, Peter. Thank you for that. And thank you for some advice that I think is going to be really useful to people who are going through this with their partners. How did this episode sit with you? 
Are you somebody who wants to quit drinking or take a break for a little while? If this is you and you're ready to make a change, let's talk. I want to tell you all about my 12-week program where I help you do exactly that. I guarantee that by the end of the 12 weeks, you will have a very different relationship with your drinking. You're going to head to michellecapler.com, click the link in the show notes, and book your free 60-minute virtual consult today so you can tell me all about you and I can tell you all about how I can help you with your drinking. That's going to be it for me this week. I'll be back next week with another episode. Until then, you've got this, my friend.